0: Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ communities, this is Well, 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 brought to you every week by Thorn Harbour Health. Here on Well, 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 we delve into the issues impacting and surrounding the health and well-being of our gender, sex, and sexually diverse communities. Coming to you from Joy's Victorian Pride Centre Studios on Boon Wurrung Country, I'm your host, Jacqueline Jannan, joined this episode by Adrian Hadjlexio. That's how your name is That's said. It. That's how you it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's been a while since you were last on the show, Adrian. What have you been up to in health promotion lately?
1: Oof, in the world of health promotion, we've had a lot going on. It's been all about monkeypox at the moment, which is obviously a hot topic in the community. Mm. If you want to know more about monkeypox, I suggest you head to the info slash monkeypox, where we keep an updated fact about everything related to monkeypox.
0: That's a frequently asked question.
1: That is a frequently asked question, <laughs> and they're all there. Uh, we've also been working on our HIV Still Matters campaign, which is a campaign that discusses real-life stories from people living with HIV in Australia and how stigma affects them.
0: Fantastic. Good to hear. Um, look, coming up on this week's show, um, from June 13th to 19th, uh, it is... National Blood Donor Week, and lately there has been more discussion about who is able to donate blood, especially at a time when blood supply in Australia is reported as being extremely low. This episode will be discussing blood donations and eligibility barriers for gay and bi men who have sex with men, and the complexities uh, involved in these restrictions. In just a moment we'll be joined by Daryl O'Donnell, CEO of AFAO at the Australian Federation of AIDS Organisations, uh, and indeed if you have any questions um, or suggestions for topics you can get in touch well, well, well at Uh, joy.org.au. Let's get straight into the show this week. You're getting Well, Well, Well with the team from Thorn Harbour Health. Jack and Adrian with you in the studio. Joined now on the phone by Daryl O'Donnell, uh, CEO of AFAO, the Australian Federation of AIDS Organisations. Thank you so much for your time, Daryl. I I guess we should ask for for listeners out there uh, who have maybe heard about AFAO before but don't necessarily know um, who you are. What is AFAO and what do you do?
2: Uh, it's a great question. So we, we're the peak community organisation in Australia. So, uh, so our members are organisations like Thorn Harbour and, uh, and the other AIDS councils, now known by different names, but uh, the other AIDS councils in the states and territories and a few other organisations. And, uh, and, uh, and we represent those, uh, those organisations, those community-led organisations uh, federally. Uh, so our job is uh, to be the voice uh, and representative of Thorn Harbour and other organisations uh, in the federal sphere to be uh, making the case to government and, uh, and to be advocating for our communities.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, how did FAIA come into exist? Obviously, it represents the AIDS councils. So when did that all begin?
2: Well, actually, it, we've had a, a long history. We go right back to uh, the early years of the AIDS crisis in Australia. Uh, so uh, so organisations like Thorn Harbour had uh, emerged very early uh, uh, lots of gay men, lots of allies uh, uh, mobilising to try and, you know, really make sense of what was happening in our community. Uh, people who were uh, being diagnosed with AIDS then and, uh, and who, were, uh, who were dying. Uh, and uh, a real groundswell of, uh, of community activism and, uh, and practical support, you know, looking after people in their homes. Um, and that was happening all over the country. And, uh, and I think our federal government at the time, uh, uh, under the pork labour government, I think uh, in a way that was kind of unique in the world really recognised that all of this community action uh, was powerful and that governments were going to need uh, to cooperate and work with uh, those communities in order to be able to respond uh, to the epidemic and uh, and the federal minister uh, Neil Blewett uh, asked uh, Thorn Harbour and the other AIDS councils can you give us uh, one uh, national voice that represents you that brings uh, your uh, needs, your issues, your concerns to the table, and uh, and uh, and with that request, uh, the councils created a FAO as uh, as that voice for communities.
0: So that was how a FAO came to exist. Uh, what is the state of HIV in Australia today? Are there still many people being diagnosed with HIV? Uh,
2: there are, but we've gotten to this almost unimaginable place. So uh, so in twenty twenty, uh, the the latest data we have. Uh, uh, we had just over 600 people uh, who were diagnosed uh, with HIV in Australia. Uh, and that's the lowest number we've seen since uh, the very early years of the epidemic. And so so what's happening is that as more and more of us are taking PrEP and uh, as more and more of us who have HIV are on treatment and uh, on effective treatment, which is meaning that we can't transmit HIV to others, um, those prevention strategies, together with condoms... Um, those prevention strategies are really now gripping um, the epidemic hard and we're seeing uh, quite a rapid decline uh, in new infections. And this is, you know, fantastic news. I think many of us really couldn't imagine a day when we'd get down to uh, 600 cases and our job now, and I think it's absolutely possible, our job is to actually get to virtual elimination, which is really to drive the number of cases each year down to you know maybe 100, maybe less than 100, so that uh, so that we're really only seeing uh, occasional uh, new diagnoses of HIV, and we're working as hard as we can to get that
1: number ever lower. That sounds like a fantastic goal and something that obviously all the AIDS councils are working towards. But I know that AFAO has a fully costed plan that to work towards that called Agenda 2025. Can you tell us a bit about that?
2: Uh, yeah, absolutely. So. So, you know, it's really important that, uh, you know, that at each point in the HIV epidemic that we're really um, stopping and taking stock of where we are and asking the question, right, what's next? What What is it that we next need to do as, as communities in order to um, uh, drive this epidemic uh, to further, uh, to lower numbers, to make sure that all of us who are living with HIV have the best quality uh, of life uh, and the best supports wrapped around us. And so... So we did that stock take uh, in uh, last year, in in mid to 2021. And we did it very deliberately um, in advance of a federal election. Um, We got together uh, the best and brightest, the scientists, the researchers, the clinicians, but also the community leaders and experts in order to ask this question, what does Australia need to do in order to uh, achieve our goal of uh, virtually eliminating HIV? and providing the best care for people with HIV. And so, so Agenda 2025 is the product of that, uh, that think tank of, uh, of experts. Uh, and it's a consensus. Uh, you know, in many areas of health, you've got uh, you know, different perspectives, different views. There might be arguments about what's the best approach. Uh, but on HIV, we're really well served by excellent evidence and excellent data. Uh, and there's actually a, an incredible consensus about what it is that's needed. Uh, and so we've created this agenda, really as a platform for uh, the Labour Party, uh, for the Coalition, for the Greens, uh, to be saying to them in the lead-up to the election, uh, this is our vision uh, as uh, as communities and as partners. This is our vision to end this epidemic, uh, and we want you to back in uh, this agenda, and we want you to support us to achieve it. Uh, and that's what uh, that's what we've done. And we worked with each of the parties uh, in the lead-up to the election to ask for their commitments uh and uh and with the uh, the election now gone uh we've been very fortunate that uh, labor all of the parties but labor included has uh, given us very clear signals uh that it wants to get the job done to really drive um hiv uh, as an epidemic into the ground
0: you mentioned some of those strategies earlier around um uh PrEP, U equals U, condoms, um, and, and you said that there are you know a number of different approaches that will, will sort of form some of the, has formed some of the discussion around it, agenda 2025. I guess, what are some of the other components that, that are involved in ending HIV transmissions?
2: I think one of the most important things for us is testing. Uh, so prevention's absolutely key, but, um, but if a person does acquire HIV, it's, it's really important that they know about it early uh, because um, uh, uh, the great majority of transmission that's occurring in Australia, those uh, those 600 or so people that acquired HIV in 2020, um, will have acquired it from sex with someone who didn't know they had HIV, from someone who actually thought they were HIV negative. Uh, and so, um, uh, and so uh, it's really important that all of us are aware of our HIV status. For, for those of us who are taking PrEP, um, that comes alongside regular HIV and STI screening. Um, but uh, but what we're seeing is that transmission occurs in that period between someone acquiring HIV uh, without being aware of it, and then getting a test. And so if, if it's three or four years between tests, that's way too long, uh, because it means that a person during that time is able to pass on HIV. Um, and it also means that they're not benefiting from immediate treatment. We know that If you've got HIV, we've got fabulous uh, uh, drugs available that will keep people well, uh, that shouldn't be generating side effects and will actually allow a person to live um, a full, healthy, uh, uh, high quality life. Um, But that all depends on an early diagnosis.
0: How much, I I guess, because around testing, we we obviously have seen um, over the last two years uh, difficulties in in some parts of, uh, I, I guess, medicine meeting the needs of of testing, obviously for COVID. Um, I, I guess, where does FAO stand on, um, or, or what does FAO have to contribute on making sure that the industry uh, can meet the needs uh, to be able to end HIV transmissions? Because if if people are getting tests every two or three years at this point, and we're hoping that they get them every three months to try and drive down transmissions, I imagine that'll have quite a significant impact on, um, on our testing industries.
2: If, if we could get um, people testing, uh, you know, gay men, uh, bisexual men, if we could get um, uh, our communities uh, testing every three months, uh, we'd be really making a big difference in terms of uh, HIV transmission. But, you know, it's hard. Uh, uh, you know, uh, none of us are, are uh, 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 thrilled to go to the doctor. It's, uh, it can be time-consuming getting there. It can be a, a wait in the, uh, in the waiting room. Uh, and uh, And, you know, we all live busy lives, so... So I think the key here is making testing uh, easier and more convenient and making sure that people have got different ways that they can test. Uh, so for some of us, going to the doctor, yep, that's the way we're going to do it. and We're going to do it every three months. Uh, I think um, uh, uh, some of us don't want to go to our GP. Uh, and so for, uh, for some in our communities, they want to be able to go uh, and uh, to a, a public sexual health service, like in Melbourne's, uh, we've got the Melbourne Sexual Health Service, and one of the things that we're very concerned about at FAO is that uh, Melbourne Sexual Health Service and the other public sexual health services around Australia um, haven't received the investment uh, that they need in order to be providing the range of services and to be having um, uh, and, to be, uh, and, and to achieve the accessibility that we'd like. Uh, Melbourne Sexual Health is a fantastic service but it's under too much pressure, and there's a real need for uh, uh, the Victorian government. As there is for other states and territories to step up and to uh, to be further investing so that so that anyone who wants to access that service can do so and can do so without um an unreasonable waiting time Uh, so certainly sexual health services are a part of it but actually uh, i think for most of us um, testing in the community uh, away from you know very clinical environments testing with uh, people who you know peers, uh, people who are just like us, who know us. Where we walk into a service uh, like Pronto, operated by Thornharbour Health, where we walk into a service like Pronto, and we see uh, from the moment we walk in that we're among friends, that we uh, that we're uh, in a peer environment uh, where there's no judgement, where there's no stigma, uh, where we're able to get a test uh, from people that know us and uh, and know about uh, how we live our lives. So services like Pronto are also really important. But I think the I think the big shift in testing um is self testing. Mm-hmm. And uh so in uh, late uh, twenty twenty uh we had uh, uh the restrictions eased on Australia's HIV self test, which is uh, made by a company called Otomo and uh and is uh, uh, able to be purchased online through the Otomo website. Uh, it's available in some pharmacies. And particularly during COVID, where we don't necessarily want to be in uh, GP uh, uh, waiting rooms, uh, testing at home, uh, particularly if we're sort of, you know, wanting to test in between visits to the doctor. Uh, so if we're perhaps seeing a doctor twice a year, but uh, supplementing that with the HIV self-test at home between that, I think that's going to be a really convenient uh, option for a lot of people, just like we test for
1: COVID at home. Uh, Daryl, so another important topic for our communities that we'd like to talk to with you about is monkeypox. I know Afeo has been doing work on the monkeypox situation. I know you recently held a community sector forum on the 7th of June. What can you tell us about the current situation with monkeypox? Uh,
2: yeah, so we, we are concerned about what we're seeing overseas. Um, uh, the situation is really evolving very rapidly. Uh, but uh, but at this stage, we're looking at about 2,000 uh, cases of monkeypox uh, that have now been confirmed in gay and bisexual men, other men who have sex with men, um, in, uh, in what we call non-endemic countries. So monkeypox is uh, routinely seen in uh, particular countries in Africa and, uh, and in those countries in Africa it's considered endemic, that is it's established in, in those countries and, uh, and, and infections are expected. Um, what's unusual is that since the beginning of May, we've seen uh, outbreaks almost simultaneously appearing in a number of countries in Europe, uh, in the UK, and then also further afield in Canada, in the United States, in different countries in South America, etc. So, uh, so, so an outbreak situation outside of Africa, uh, where, you know, 2,000 cases so far. So a, a large number of uh, of, uh, of men, largely men, who have acquired uh, this, um, you know, this infection that we actually don't know a lot about in our community because it's not something we've experienced before.
1: Hmm. Is there a risk or a concern about the outbreak spreading in Australia? Uh,
2: there is. We've got open borders right now and, uh, and you know, COVID, uh, with, with where we're at with COVID, people are increasingly travelling uh, we've had eight cases of uh, monkeypox uh, diagnosed in Australia so far. Uh, seven of those were uh, in people that had, uh, had come home to Australia after travelling overseas and, uh, and, you know, on the plane or on their arrival in Australia, uh, they've noticed that they've had some, uh, some, uh, some lumps, some sores, and they've gone to their doctor and they've been um, diagnosed with monkeypox. Um, one of the Australian cases was actually not in a traveller. Uh, not in someone who'd been overseas. So so in that case, that person's obviously acquired that from someone uh, here in Australia um, who uh, so far um, hasn't been identified. So it suggests that, you know, at least in one case, there was a, a bit of community transmission going on. Um, the question is, where does it go from here? And, uh, and I think there's absolutely no doubt that with that number of cases overseas, with 2,000 cases and, and that climbing each day, that we'll absolutely see more cases um, in return travellers. Um, you know, June's a big month for, for, for our community. We'll have lots of people heading north for uh, for parties as part of Pride, um, and lots of uh, lots of people coming home uh, that might have uh, might have acquired monkeypox while they were overseas. So, we're absolutely going to see more cases, and um, and because it's quite transmissible, um, at least in terms of how it's behaving during this outbreak. Um, it's, it's almost certain that we'll see cases of community transmission here at home.
0: I mean, LGBTIQ communities uh, t- typically have a better understanding of sexual health and, and um, preventing STI transmission. Um, given what you've just said about, you know, uh, events that people might be going to, large gatherings, uh, intimate gatherings, you know, uh, what can people do to try and tra- uh, prevent transmission of monkeypox?
2: Uh, well, prevention itself is a little bit tricky uh, because uh, it's it's not an STI in the way that we think about an STI. So normally, if we're talking about HIV, um, we're really thinking about okay, well, uh, HIV is transmitted through uh, when 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 HIV is present in semen or in vaginal fluids. Uh, 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 with monkeypox, it's actually a respiratory infection, and so uh, so. Uh, uh, the, the ways in which it's transmitted um, tend to be through large respiratory droplets, um, and also through contact with, uh, which are what is described as lesions. But I think you know, in lay terms, let's just think about sores, lumps, bumps that might appear on the body. It could be could be something that looks like a pimple. Uh, and so the, the most common way in which uh, the outbreak seems to be occurring is that uh, is that sexual partners are coming in contact with a person's uh, lumps and bumps and sores uh, and, uh, and, and we're not talking about things that are always incredibly obvious. It could be quite subtle and so it could be something that uh, has popped up, uh, often quite painless. It uh, could be that there's uh, someone's got a, a few pimple-like bumps, um, uh, perhaps in their, uh, 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 on, on their penis, uh, perhaps in the perianal area or um, on or in the anus. And so, uh, and if they're painless, uh, a person might not even be aware of those things. So so I think the the key message in prevention is um, keep an eye out. Uh, If you see that someone uh, who you're having sex with might have um, some lumps or bumps, uh, particularly in the genital area, um, that's possibly uh, an indication of of monkeypox. Um, And for anyone who does have those symptoms, um, really important to go and get, get a test, go and get them checked out. Uh, and I think if, uh, you know, without, um, you know, for, for many of us, um, you know, it's, it's not uncommon to have a, a lump or a bump or a sore. Uh, if you see something, uh, just, just wonder in your mind, have I been overseas? Because right? that would just give you a, an even greater sense of the need to test. Uh, and, uh, and have I felt a little bit unwell at the time that those lumps and bumps have occurred or maybe just before that? So, for instance, have I had a fever? Uh, or uh, have had, had a temperature, so some of those things can also uh, be associated with the initial signs of infection. Uh, so at this stage, really for, for us as a community, is uh, keep an eye out um, uh, for uh, for anything that uh, that looks unusual, uh, particularly if it's uh, if it's a genital infection, and uh, and and get that looked at, um, especially if you've been overseas, and especially if it's associated with a fever.
1: And if you want to find out more about monkeypox, you can visit the drama slash monkeypox. Uh,
0: given it is National Blood Donors Week, we wanted to speak a, a bit about the current restrictions there are for men who have sex with men, Daryl. Uh, blood donor eligibility is a topic that comes up regularly in our communities. Can you tell us what the current eligibility requirements uh, for gay and bi uh, men, uh, well, men who have sex with men uh, to donate blood in Australia are?
2: uh yeah so so they've relatively recently changed so from January last year uh the uh, the deferral period for um uh, for men who have sex with men was reduced from twelve months to three months and so what that means is uh if you're a gay or bisexual man and you've had sex with another man uh, another man or regardless of how you identify uh, if you're a man who's had sex with another man uh then uh you're unable to donate blood um. Uh, for a three-month period after that last sexual contact with another man, uh, and that that deferral it applies uh, regardless of whether condoms are used, regardless of whether uh, whether you 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 might be on prep, um, and uh, regardless of whether you're uh, in a monogamous relationship. So, uh, and obviously, when we're talking about blood, um, we're talking about HIV-negative uh, men who have sex with men in terms of this donation because. Uh, for people in our community who have HIV, um, there's an automatic uh, exclusion uh, in order to uh, to protect blood safety. Mm. So
1: when we are talking about men who have sex with men, why are there restrictions uh, and deferrals for donation? What is the reasoning behind it?
2: Well, it's, it's fundamentally about blood safety. Uh, so if we think about um, you know, the, why we're donating blood, we're donating blood so that uh, you know, different products can be created uh, in order to um, uh, to provide them to to people who might need a uh, a life-saving uh, transfusion in a, an emergency situation, who might need uh, regular um, platelets or uh, or other blood products in order to keep them well. Uh, and so, uh, so we're doing this as a public good uh, when we're donating blood uh, in order to help people. Uh, who might have different health conditions or be in uh, particular, you know, might be in a period of crisis, might have had a car accident or something like that, and they need uh, a blood transfusion. Um, and what's really important in that is that um, uh, of all of the considerations we might want to have, blood safety is the most important. Um, it's it's really vital that, you know, for, for any of us who need to receive a blood product, um, that that blood product is safe. It can't be um, a little bit safe. It can't be um, fairly safe. It's got to be absolutely safe. We're as safe as we can make it. Uh, and so uh, in order to make uh, blood as, uh, blood and blood products as safe as they can possibly be, uh, uh, the, uh, the government has put in place restrictions uh, that include a deferral uh, for men who have sex with men.
0: Is all donated blood tested for HIV and other uh, bloodborne viruses? I, and I guess would that screen um, any donated blood that contains HIV and, and other viruses?
2: Uh, yes, it is. So, so we often when we think about blood donor deferral and the exclusion of, of gay and bisexual men, um, we're often thinking about HIV. But it's actually it's actually not just HIV. So, uh, so routinely, uh, the the blood service uh, uh, now called Life Blood. Uh, Lifeblood will screen for HIV and hepatitis B and hepatitis C, uh, and then uh, and then there's a number of other uh, uh, infections that they'll uh, screen for um, uh, under different circumstances. So, for example, uh, they'll screen for cytomegalovirus or CMV uh, for some products, and uh, and then under other circumstances, they'll also screen for uh, human T-cell lymphotrophic virus, HTLV. Uh, Or for, uh, uh, or for infectious syphilis. Uh,
1: Given that they are testing this blood, why do we have restrictions then? Uh, What is the purpose of them?
2: So, uh, so the restriction, uh, the deferral restriction, is in place because it's actually considered to be another layer of defence. So, all of that testing of uh, of blood uh, that's donated occurs. our testing technology today is very, very good, um, but there are some um, some risks. So that, uh, particularly particularly where uh, a person might have just recently acquired HIV, there's what's called the window period. Uh, so, for instance, if I was uh, to have been in a situation where I acquired HIV today, uh, in that very, very initial period of infection from today, uh, for that first week or so. Um, it's possible for, um, for my infection with HIV to not be picked up by the tests, even though they're very good. Uh, and so in addition to testing, uh, the blood service has put in um, additional layers. Uh, and the very first layer is um, education of the community. So, so as a gay man, I know that at the moment under the current policy, I'm not supposed to donate blood uh, if I've had sex with another man in the last three months. Um, so so self- exclusion is the, the very first part of um, of protecting um, the blood supply. Uh, and then secondly, um, if I didn't happen to know that uh, and I popped into a, uh, into a, a donor center, a blood blood, blood service center, um, they would ask me a set of questions, and when I answered those questions, they would then exclude me uh, because of that risk, and then a third layer of protection is the testing itself. So it's really about putting up um, multiple layers of protection so that we can be assured that uh, for any of us who need a blood product, uh, that that blood will be as safe as possible.
0: What about PrEP uh, affecting blood donations? Uh, I'm informed that in Australia, there's a 12-month waiting period after your last dose of PrEP if you want to donate blood uh, and three months after your last dose of PrEP if you want to donate Plasma, um, d- does PrEP interfere with um, the detection of HIV or, you know, w- what's sort of involved there?
2: Yeah, this is, this is tricky. And, and I think for lots of us uh, in our community, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, it's, it's really natural for us to think, hang on, uh, I'm on this amazing prevention drug. Uh, we know just how effective PrEP is. Um, why on earth am I excluded? Uh, surely I'm safer. Uh, I'm better protected from HIV than almost anyone. Why can't I donate blood? And so, um, so there is a logic to it, though. And uh, and so we've got, we all know Prep is incredibly uh, uh, um, uh, effective. Um, there are, however, just a handful of cases that we've seen globally, where a person who's been taking Prep in the right way, and so should be fully perfect, protected uh, against HIV,
1: um,
2: has had what we call a breakthrough infection. That that for, for, for some reason, even though they've taken PrEP in the right way, they've still acquired HIV. We're not talking a lot of cases. Um, we can all be really confident in PrEP. These are absolutely exceptional situations. But when those breakthrough infections do occur, the very fact that a person is taking a HIV treatment, that is PrEP, can make it even harder uh, to pick up that early infection. Um, so it's a, an incredibly conservative position that Lifeblood takes on prep, but uh, it's it's again based on that principle that we can't afford blood to almost be safe. It's got to be as safe as we can make it. Uh, and although although prep's been around for a while now, um, you know, in uh, uh, in in real terms, it's actually quite new. It's quite uh, quite novel. Uh, and uh, and so from from the uh, From the blood services perspective in terms of blood safety, um, I think there's still a process of just waiting for the evidence just to build a bit further to check do we absolutely need this deferral in place for PrEP users? Um, Could we make it a bit shorter? And and I think over time as the evidence continues to build, as we get a better understanding about these exceptionally rare breakthrough infections, um, uh, lifeblood and the Uh, The Therapeutic Goods Administrator, which is the regulator, they'll be able to have a look at this question again, but for now they've adopted this exclusion period for PrEP users.
0: I guess around the current restrictions, um, what do they mean for for people who may not identify as gay or or bi or, you know, they're not men who have sex with men, but do have sex that's considered at risk of of HIV transmission? And and I guess, um, do you think that those restrictions are fair, generally?
2: Uh, well, fair is a big question. Um, so, 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 just on the first part of that question, uh, the the way in which uh, the the deferral periods work is based on sexual activity. So it's not about identity. It's not about um, whether I identify as gay. It's actually about um, uh, about what I do. And so, um, so the the idea here is to uh, look at the evidence around um, uh, who in Australia is acquiring HIV and on the basis of that evidence, to determine whether um, uh, whether, uh, uh, whether some populations are at greater risk of acquiring HIV. And, uh, and you know, I think part of the success story of, of how our community, how gay and bisexual men have responded to HIV in Australia, is that we've actually um, kept a fairly good lid on the epidemic. Um, we never saw HIV in Australia take off in the way that it has in many other parts of the world. We haven't seen uh, massive numbers of people who inject drugs, massive numbers of um, people who are uh, sex workers, for example, um, acquiring HIV. Uh, so uh, so we've got a relatively contained epidemic. We call it a concentrated epidemic. Uh, and in fact, it's we have one of the more concentrated epidemics in the world. And so, so for the moment, um, statistically, it is the case that um, as a man who has sex with men, I am statistically more likely uh, to have HIV, and so that's the reason that um, that that this population is sort of singled out, if you like, and that's certainly how it feels for many of us, is singled out uh, for uh, for the deferral. Um, but uh, is it fair? Um, well. That's a really big question. I know that this is an incredibly sensitive topic for many of us in the community and, uh, and particularly, I think, for for young people who, uh, you know, many of us uh, are um, surprised to find out that there's this deferral in place, just surprised to find out that, hang on, um, why can't I donate blood? This is ridiculous. This, this feels like discrimination. It feels like, um, you know, I'm wanting to do the right thing. I'm wanting to, you know, to do this thing that's about uh, giving to the community and I'm being told, uh, not you. I'm being told that um, that's not something uh, that I can do. That uh, that I'm welcome to do. And so there's a lot of hurt and a lot of frustration about that. Um, and uh, and there's a lot of advocacy about that. There's uh, uh, there's groups, uh, community organisations, uh, community networks that are really advocating very powerfully at the moment for uh, for the current deferral to be uh, to be overturned, to be looked at, and to be. Uh, uh, for it to be either reduced or removed entirely, um, I, I absolutely understand uh, those arguments. For uh, for us at AFAO, we take a slightly different um, approach to this. Uh, we uh, we understand the hurt, um, but, uh, but the the, the fundamental uh, point is that blood must be safe. And I think um, I think for people my age and older, um, uh, I remember. Uh, the early years of the HIV epidemic, and I remember um, just how awful it was uh, before before blood was safe. Uh, if we go back to about the time when FAO was established in 1985, that was the year that uh, that Australia, in fact, led the world. We were the first place in the world to actually uh, bring in uh, universal testing for the blood supply. We made uh, we made sure that every blood donation was tested for HIV. Um, but before that um, uh, a lot of people um, who needed blood products were acquiring HIV um, uh, through the blood supply and uh, and so uh, there was an uh, a, a very famous case in queensland where I grew up uh, of um, of three babies who were uh, who needed a transfusion and who acquired HIV through that transfusion and uh, this was a you know really dark period for our community and the and the man the gay man who had donated that that blood doing a community service and uh, doing what they thought um, believed um, uh, uh, to be absolutely the right thing that person turned out to have HIV um, and the backlash was ferocious so so the key thing for us is as a community um, as gay men as bisexual men we do not want to ever see a situation again where um, someone acquires HIV um, because there was some breakdown in the safety of, of the blood system. Um, and so uh, so for a FAO, uh, that's our first uh, and foremost consideration. Um, we do think that the current approach is very conservative, and we think that uh, it is time for it to change, Um uh, we think that too many of, uh, of uh, not only our community but others are being excluded from donation uh, and so uh, so we've been working really closely with lifeblood uh, on on their review of uh, what's possible and I think there's uh, I think there is a case for change um, one of the things that uh, that certainly lifeblood has uh, been uh, quite public about uh, more recently is that that Australia um, uh, can really I think lead the world on plasma donation. Uh, so, uh, so when we donate blood, there's different products that are made from that. And the most important product, uh, the most needed product in Australia is actually plasma. Uh, and so, uh, so I might sit in a chair and uh, they draw the blood from my arm and what they take from that blood is a product called plasma. Um, because of the way that plasma is actually treated, it's actually possible to take additional steps in removing any possible pathogens. And so one of the things that uh that we're very excited about is the possibility that uh it may be possible in the future, uh, for uh for gay and bisexual men and in fact for everyone to be able to donate blood, um, where plasma would be taken, uh and uh and that we'd all be contributing to the community in that way. And if, if that happened, it's possible that none is to be asked about you know, these questions about our sexual activity that we'd just simply be able to donate. I think that would be uh, a really exciting development. It's not approved at this stage, um, but I think that's the next stage of, of reform of, uh, of the deferral policy.
0: Daryl O'Donnell, CEO of AFAO, uh, the Australian Federation of AIDS Organisations. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this episode of Well, Well, Well.
2: A pleasure. Thanks so much.
0: You're getting Well, Well, Well with the team from Thorn Harbour Health. And that is it for the episode uh, this week on Well, Well, Well. Uh, links to information from tonight's show will be on the podcast page, joy.org.au slash well, 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 where you can also listen to the rest of our podcasts. Uh, indeed, information about FAO, Uh, and uh, Monkeypox are going to be there on the website. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover or if you have any questions, get in touch by emailing at joy.org.au. But that is it for this episode. Thanks for joining me in studio, Adrian. Always a pleasure. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 your show for LGBTIQ health and well-being presented by Joy sponsor, Thorn Harbour Health. For more on these topics and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website, thornharbour.org. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy.